This week's John Tapp Racing Podcast is brought to you by Inglis, number one in its field. Alan Bailey caught the Queensland racing industry by complete surprise about six years ago when he announced his retirement from the training ranks after a 43-year career. Alan spent his early years on the New South Wales Central Coast working as a greenkeeper, starting off at the Wyong Golf Club and then switching to the Wyong Bowling Club. But suddenly, at age 30, he made the shock announcement that he was going to try his hand at horse training. Many told him it was too late in life. Others told him he'd taken leave of his census. 43 years and 3,000 winners later, Alan Bailey has more than justified his decision. He left racing with the respect of all sections of the industry and he's the perfect candidate for our little trip down memory lane on this week's podcast. Alan Bailey, a delight to catch up. Thank you, John. It was a pretty late start, wasn't it, age 30? Yeah, but I was always doing it in the background. I, I had... I, in the early days, I didn't have a licence, but I, tra- I trained horses under my dad's name. Mm. He had a trainer's licence, and then uh, at about 21, I got a licence, and then I trained horses, and I worked and trained the horses at the same time, like a lot of people did. Mm. So uh, I, I uh, just kept training them, and uh, all of a sudden, I came across a... I always had a few winners, but not a lot. I just had a couple of horses I played around with, and then all of a sudden I came across a couple of horses that uh, really were going good, and um, I decided that we sat down with my wife and we decided, well, we've got to do one or the other. We were getting too many horses. We were At this stage, we had seven or eight horses, and mm. they were winning races, and I was taking it, and I was going to work and doing the horses, and something had to give, so we... Uh, made a decision, it was a family decision, that we'd give it a go. We could always go back to the other job, which I, I was had a pretty had a lot of respect in the other job. So I could mm. uh, I was um, not only um, greenkeeper at Wyom, but I was on the advisory council and, and uh, for the greenkeeping of, of the Central Coast and uh, we built greens and did everything else. So there was always a job to go back to if I failed. So it was sort of a... It was a it was a temporary thing when I started, but then um, we had the, the luck continued straight away. We hit off with a couple of horses. Karush was one, and if you be, uh, mate, if you believe, or um, uh, yeah, that was a name I think, and mm-hmm. and uh, they both started to win races, and from there on, just uh, we just escalated. Now, Alan, something that. People may not know about Alan Bailey. You you grew up on a farm, so there were horses around you from an early age, but you actually rode horses in some picnic races early in your life. Yeah, John, I rode. I, I, I was never probably the best, but I, I had a little bit of luck in, in the picnic races. And my, dad and my dad and his friends always had horses, and, of course, uh, we played around with them and we took them to the picnic races. They had racetracks in at uh, places that people would remember, like Y.E., uh, mm. Muscle, uh, um, Morissette. They had one at uh, Yarramalong. They had one at Wiseman's Ferry. Mm. Uh, people wouldn't remember. They had a really good racetrack at Wiseman's Ferry just where you catch the punt going over the river there. Mm-hmm. Well, they, 
they had on the left and they had bookmakers. They were number nine meetings. They had bookmakers and everything. I didn't write a lot of them, but I wrote a lot of the picnic meetings, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I quickly grew out of that, though. But uh, as we did, we kept riding. Then we shifted to Wyong. We left the, left the farm and shifted to Wyong, and I used to ride a lot of track work there. So mm. that was my part of the racing. Alan, your dad was actually a blacksmith. What sort yeah. of work did he do? What sort of horses? Oh, he was a blacksmith. He he finished up. He he um he had a blacksmith shop in Wyong itself, and people brought horses there when I was young. And I used to have to go and turn the blower and uh, for him to make the shoes and everything like that. He made all that. He was a wheelwright. He he made wheels. Yeah. He he. Uh, did all the all the sulkies and things like that, and he was great with hand. He built, he made brands. He was a very talented man. He used to he used to cut cars down for people and and make them into utilities, and and he put back on trucks. He was he was quite a he was a bit of an all rounder, but he was pretty good at his work. Mm. And uh, he he with us having a farm, we always had horses, and he was interested in horses, and like all the people were, and. Um, yeah, he had a couple of horses, so he and he trained a couple of horses on the side. When we shoot, well, particularly when we shifted to Wyong, he he mm. would have had more than he would have had a half a dozen horses in work. Yeah, Alan, to get a commercial training stable up and running, obviously you need owners. Where did your first owners come from? Well, first owner that I had, John, was my next door neighbour. He was a <laughs> they they had a they were Dutch people, and uh, we my wife got friendly with his wife, and we started talking and he said oh geez we follow the horses we'd like to get a horse so I finished up I went down to the sales me and him went down to the sales in Sydney and we bought a second hand horse horse called Lexuron which old Fred Hood owned Mm. he'd been he'd run really good over ground but anyhow his feet was no good when we got him and brought him home and uh, uh, dad was a blacksmith so he took I cleaned his feet right back and we put him in a little swamp paddock and grew his feet out and all of a sudden we had a horse that was able to uh, mm. to go and win a race or two. So not, not long after I first got him, I, I won a race at uh, Kembla Grange with him. Mm. And uh, then from there, um, we he we bought, we went then and his brother come on board a bit then and then we went and bought a couple of horses. and uh, It snowballed. They snowballed, yeah, because mm. the first horse they bought was a little horse called Punto, which we all know went mm. on to win a lot of races and uh, started Peter Lush on his go with yeah. his first ride, first ride in the race was a winner. Alan, I imagine you would have had a role model or two in those early years as a trainer. And I remember you talking about a veteran Newcastle trainer for whom you had great admiration, a man called Jim Mulry. Yeah, John, I thought, you know, I was always a bit of a uh, – oh, I always looked at other people's horses and, and I admired them and, and uh, the people that had horses that look really good and race well, I was always on their tail. And, of course, I was I worked as a clerk of the course at Wyong and, and Gosford on my – on, when they had the races and mm. I'd go to the races and people had ha- asked me to lead horses to the barriers or could I look after this one. In those times, there was always a bit of a 
um, more so than today, but I suppose there was always some handle to it that they wanted to get an advantage, or they thought they were getting an advantage somewhere. But mm. anyhow, old Jim, if he had one that he was going to put some money on, which was always the go then, mm. he'd be saying to me early, I've got one in the fifth. I want you to lead it to the barrier and look after it, make sure that no kick and don't get kicked or anything, because they mm. were always they'd worked on these things, as you realise, for... Mm. Probably this was a plan that was hatched three months ago or something, you know. Mm. So, uh, and but his horses looked beautiful. Any when he ever he decided that this was the day to win, like they did in those times, he sometimes had a one ten one. He only had a small stable, probably ten or twelve horses at the time, or mm. might have had less. But oh, his horses looked immaculate. But uh, he uh, he was a great he was a great person. I got to know him really well uh, through the horses and. Uh, he had a couple of really good horses. He had a course called All Profit was really good. A grey horse. Yeah, a grey horse. All won Profit, every, yeah. He won everything. He had another little horse called My Pal. Mm. Oh, he won, won a lot of races. Laurie Billet did a lot of riding for him. He never went mm. for top-class riders. He always sort of wanted to sneak under the radar with everything. That was mm. his job. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, he always yeah. wanted to. Old that school. Was wasn't he? Yeah, old yeah, he always wanted to sneak out under the radar a little bit, but he always did what he wanted to do, and uh, yeah. that was it. But uh, he learnt me a good lesson. I, I got a couple of. I, I was, I was fortunate enough. I, I spoke to him on numerous occasions, and when I first started training, I, I, I won a race. I forget somewhere anyhow, and he said to me, "That was good." Like I used to still call him Mr. Mulry, like we all mm. did when we were in those stages. And and he, he said, oh, uh, Alan, that was a good win of your horse today. And I said, oh, yeah, thank Mr. Mulry. Thanks very much. Yeah, I said, and he's got a lot of improvement. I think he, you know, he's, he's only about, I think, about half fit, as you would say in the words in those times. You'd say, oh, he's only about half fit. And he just pulled me up and he said, oh, son, no, he said, uh, I'd rethink that a little bit if I was you. And I said, yeah, why, why? He said, because just be careful what you do with him from now on. Take him home and look after him because he wasn't half fit because if he'd a half fit, been half fit, he wouldn't have won. Mm. And I took that on board and I thought, well, you know, that's that's something. Now, so I took him home and I, I backed off him a little bit and, and the horse went and he, and he won again, you know, and that was that yeah, yeah. learnt me then that, Hey, if you want to win a, win a lot of races, you've got to let the horses win as they can. Don't push them too much. And and through that, I was able to keep some horses going. I thought I kept some horses going for nearly 12 months under those conditions, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Alan, I'll get you to stand by there. We're going to pause for a, a break on our podcast interview back in a moment or two. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most dealings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. My special guest on the podcast this week is retired trainer Alan Bailey, who didn't really start his training career until about age 30. Uh, He trained for 43 years and he won more than 3,000 races, a remarkable strike rate. Alan, you wouldn't have expected to be the master of a successful apprentice so early in your career. 
but you found yourself a very good one in Peter Losh. He went on to have a terrific career, aided by his ability to ride light. Yes, John, he was. Uh, he came to me as a little fellow, uh, long hair down to his shoulders. It would have been about, I think, uh, in the, in his would have been would have been about fifteen when he got there at the at the most. And mm. uh, yeah, he uh, hadn't had even hadn't even put a leg over a horse at that stage. And uh, he uh, quickly picked it up and. Uh, was able to go on and, uh, yeah, he became, If I suppose in life things change, but if Malcolm Johnson hadn't have been around, he'd have been the champion apprentice. But <laughs> with Malcolm Johnson being around at the time and taking all before him, Peter played second fiddle to him all the time mm. until I think Malcolm went out of his time 12 months before Peter was finished. And in that time, because Malcolm did so well, he lowered the the, the um the amount of horses races you could win and claim, and of course, when they brought that in, Peter had already rode that many horses, so he he had no claim, you know, and so mm. it was, he was back on the hard streets again. Yeah. But he overcame that. He was able to. He became the stable rider pretty well for Pat Murray, who had a lot of good horses, and he he rode he rode a lot of them as long as he rode, and he rode ours, and he struck up a good friendship with. Pat Quinn, and he went to him after he finished with me. He went to Sydney to ride, and he rode for Pat Quinn for a fair few years. You know, one of the last horses you trained from Wyong was a tall, rangy gelding by the name of Todd Time. I can still see him. He had plenty of problems, but couldn't he gallop? Yeah, well, a lot of the good judges in those times, John, they just started doing the the ratings and and that, that that came in big in just just when i had him the ratings came and i know a chap that was really really into the ratings he and i was really good friends with him and he, he rang me a few times and when i started racing this horse um which took me about 12 months to get into a racetrack i picked him up out of a paddock and he was a cripple and mm. took me about 12 months to get into a racetrack and he said um to me he said the rating that horse has got there is no horse in no horse that I know can rate that good mm. at this stage. He said he is the best rated horse in New South Wales or anywhere. Mm. And I, I said, oh yeah, he goes good. But I said that might be over. Probably some not. I'm telling you, he is the best rated horse. He said they checked him at so many meters, how many fast they went in the meters and all this. Yeah. But I didn't understand it. But anyhow, mm. it found out that he wasn't far out. I mean, I don't think there was a horse at the present time, at that time, could really beat him. I mean, he ran against all the good horses like Hamden and um, Billy that won one of the Golden Slippers, um, um, Bart Cummings had her. Anyhow, he, he ran against all those good horses, blue and gold. And, Vivace, and is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, yeah, Vivace. Vivace, yeah. He ran yeah. Against, yeah, he ran against all them and he beat them all and, mm. and – um, he was, and as I said, he never got to full potential because he's, he's once again, he, you could only sparingly race him. He had more troubles. He had joint troubles. He had knee troubles. He had all the troubles in the world. And uh, yet he was horse of the year at Wong and Hawkesbury. And uh, he won the, I think he, he won the pace setters and run mm. a course record. And uh, He held a record at him. Warwick Farm, Alan, that lasted forever. 
Yeah, forever. He rode that one of I think in one of those um, Horsley Park handicaps or something, the thousand mm. meter race there. And it, the good thing about him, John, he was such a good tempered horse, beautiful, big, big horse. But he? yeah, I th- I think everybody rode him. I, I don't. I think Neil rode Neil Williams rode a heap, won a heap of races on him. I think. Mm. Um, Oh, young bloke from Newcastle. Everyone, everyone won on him. It wasn't like as if he had just one rider. Morris My, Logue won a couple of races on him. Mm. He, he, everyone rode him. He just, he just was one of those horses. He just went, done everything right, trucked through the race, and just, he just kept going. He was, he was really an outstanding horse. Alan, it was 1981 when you made the move to the Gold Coast and put up your sign, A. Bailey Horse Trainer. Um. You've always been able to find a talented apprentice, and we mentioned earlier uh, that Neil Williams was with you for quite a long time. He began his apprenticeship with you at Wyong. He went with you to the Gold Coast, and what a talented rider. Yeah, he was, John, but I had one before him uh, that I thought was probably – I know you always say it's like comparing horses. You say this horse might have been better than that horse, but it's hard to compare. But I had a little bloke, of course, young, uh, what's Craig Ayton. Oh, he, yeah. You might yeah. remember how good a rider he was. Right? He do. was he was an outstanding rider. He'd had seven rides in the city when he got killed for five winners. He was, mm-hmm. and he'd, he'd already, he'd only been an apprentice. And I thought, um, chap that had this, surprised uh, me, the bloke that had the, had the um, the forty yards at Gosford was a pretty hard taskmaster with his horses, but he had real always had good horses, always had a bloke trained. He trained at Gosford. Mm. He had really had a, had a good string of horses. He'd already made that kid his, his stable jockey when he after mm. he'd be, only been riding for about eighteen months. And mm. in, in those days when they were putting money and betting and putting them here, it was hard to get on the horses anyhow. But he'd already made him his stable rider, that young bloke. Mm-hmm. And uh, he won an apprenticeship. He got killed, I think, in February. And he had that. He'd won that many races. He still won the apprenticeship yeah. at the end of in August. So he, he fell was, at uh, Scone, was, Alan, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He yeah. fell in a race at Scone. Very, and he, very sad. Yeah. But then came along, um, and actually Theo Green, because this what had happened and everything else, and uh, I was always really close to Theo Green. I he, he was I went to the races with these kids, Peter and them, and me and him would sit in the grandstand all day because he mm. never drank and I never drank, and we'd talk mm. horses and talk kids and what he did and what he didn't do, and and uh, he was a bit of a mentor to me with these kids, and anyhow, he, he knew that I was in a bit of trouble, so he, when when uh, Craig got killed, so he sent Neil, that's how, he, Neil first went, went to went to Theo Green's on a school holiday down there, and he, he didn't min- mix in because he came from Cobar, he didn't mix into the city life, and he said to me, I've got a little fellow here, I reckon he'll, he's an eager beaver, mate, he said he's a smart boy he said i reckon he's the right size and everything you can take him and try him i don't think city life is going to suit him and and yeah that's how i got neil sadly neil succumbed to depression after riding something like 500 winners in queensland and in 1999 alan he took his own life and it was such a sad day in australian racing 
Well, John, he, he came to that for some reason. One reason, Neil was one of the easiest going persons that you could ever work with. He was life. He was a bundle of life. He mm-hmm. he, he could he could um, go out, ride all day, go sit around half the night or want to go out somewhere, get up next morning, he'd do the, go to work, he'd come home, he'd be in the swimming pool, he'd be doing something. He, he, was, he was on the ball from go to day to and money, he made heaps of money, but money didn't seem to worry him. Uh, mm. Jen would do his clothes because they always lived in with us in those times. It's like they don't so much today, but in those days, they all they live with you. They, they become part of your family. And she'd wash his clothes and someone would give him money at the tracks. He'd put it in his pocket. He wouldn't even know. He wouldn't even remember. She'd he'd go around the washing machine or she'd take it out. and It mm. wouldn't be dollars. It'd be thousands. You know, it'd be yeah. four or five thousand here and that. And she'd pick it up and put it in a drawer. We had a drawer full of money in those times. And, and if he wanted, he'd go and get it. You know, there was no such thing as me taking my percentage of him or anything. If I wanted some money, I'd use his money or he'd use my money. And even when he built a house, he wanted a few dollars, Jen and I. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage, he wanted some cash to give some people. So we gave it to him. That was how it was. You know, there was no mm-hmm. – there was no – and in the thing, he went overseas and he rode in Hong Kong with good success. Mm. He went actually one of the first ones to go to ride for John Moore, I think, and mm-hmm. he rode fair few winners. And then he went to Macau and he was a leading rider. But John, he did have towards the or all through his his career, he was a spindly little bloke, and and mm. he had some horrific falls and um, broke ankles and. Wrists and yeah. shoulders and oh, he was so like like and but he was always a goer. I remember one day at Newcastle, he was riding there and he had a horrific fall. I had two horses and in those times, you took the horses yourself and sort of one went with you or whatever you could spare. You didn't have a lot of strappers or anything. And anyhow, he fell in this race and they picked him up on the ambulance and I just went and seen him and they said, "Oh, you'll be all right." And I went back to do the horses and then kind of come back to him. By the time I got back, they, they said, oh, look, he didn't, he's not that well. We shifted him off to the hospital. So I said, mm. oh, Jesus, this is not good. So anyhow, mm. I had a horse in that race. I run the horse and I said to the person, you look after that horse, I'm going to the hospital. Mm. So I went to the, I finished up going to the hospital. And when I get to the hospital, I'm going through and through the hospital. This would probably have been an hour after he was there. I'm going through and through the hospital to find out where he is. And I'm asking the people, I said, oh, yeah, the jockey bloke, he's coming, he's up there. So I went up to this ward <laughs> and I said to the people, I'm here to see Neil Williams, the jockey who fell at the Broad Meadow today. And he said, they said, oh, him, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, geez, what's going wrong here, you know? And mm. they said, I said, they said, oh, no, look, he's not here. I said, well, where is he? They said, mm. he booked himself out. He's gone. And I said, well, how did he go? They said, we don't know how he went, but he's going back to the race course. So mm. I said, oh, Jesus. I said, I'll, oh, no. anyway, I got in the car and go back to the race course, and here he is sitting all doubled up on the seat outside. And I said, Jesus, mate, what are you doing? He said, oh, geez, I'm sore and stiff and sore, but I'm all right. I didn't want to stay there. Anyhow, that talk about Todd time, we had him in. Mm. We had him in the in not the next day, but the day after, and he and, and he was in a big race at Gosford. I don't know whether it was a pace or what it was, a big race anyhow. Mm. And, he, and he said, "I've got to ride that horse." I said, "You won't be riding any horses, mate." Mm. Anyhow, 
So we got home and, and we had a friend, a doctor, and I said to the doctor, you better have a look at him, make sure, because he could have concussion. He doesn't know much what's going on. And he, you know, he looked mm. at him, he said, look, oh, geez, he's knocked around. But he said, I'll tell you what I'd be doing if you want to do anything. I'd be getting into a hot bath somewhere and into one of those tubs that they had to rub them down in and all the rest. We walked around. The only place we could find one was at, at um, Gosford RSL. So we take go to Gosford to the RSL, and he gets in there, and back two days later he rode the horse and it won. Our, our time is rapidly expiring on this podcast interview, so just sit back there for a moment and let me tell you some of the things you achieved. Uh, after going to the Gold Coast, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you won a stack of premierships, 21 in all, three Metropolitan, eight at Ipswich and ten on the Gold Coast. You trained a horse called Another Warrior to win a Newcastle Cup and a Mooney Valley Cup. You had a terrific little mare called Susie Gray who won ten races and about three quarters of a million. You won half a dozen races with a brilliant mare called Peruzzi. Uh, you had great success with one Mo. She won three races but two of them were group ones. Uh, you took her to Melbourne once in the spring of 2001. She ran in two or three of those big classic races. She didn't place in any of them, but she wasn't far away either. Scotch Ice uh, won a big one. He won the QBSS Classic. I think you owned half of him. And you thought the world of a horse called Make Mine Magic, who won 14 races and almost a million dollars. Alan, you look back now... To do what you did when starting at age 30 is quite remarkable. Yeah, John, I had a good, I had a good life. It was, it was really good to me and uh, it was a family job as a business, as you realise, and we, we, we worked hard as a family to, to make it work and uh, as I was saying, the harder the work, the, the better, more rewards you get. Well, that's what we were able to do and uh, along the road we made, we made great friends uh, people that we're still friendly with today after those 43 or 45 years we're probably just as close to those when we started and uh, you know people came along i had great owners particularly one um ken mcdonald um, became a great friend and i finished up in the finish i virtually only trained for him and a couple of other friends that i'd been people that i'd had all my life and i couldn't say no to so yeah, that's where it led me, and um, I was able to retire comfortably. And and uh, for the last five or six years, we've five years now, or six years, it's, we, we've we've drove, we've blown all over Australia, and um, just to June and I together, and with some other friends and that, and we've uh, we've enjoyed in time, our retirement to no end. Alan, you, you mentioned Neil Williams, of course, and Peter Losh. Uh, but you've had terrific associations with other jockeys, uh, such as Glenn Collis, Larry Olson, who's now long retired himself. You linked up with Brent Thompson there for a while, and uh, you had a lot of winners together. Yeah, and and if we should leave one out, John, always the great Kenny Russell. He was a friend and... and uh he, he, he rode at the Gold Coast for me when Neil was riding in town. He was my Gold Coast rider when I first came here and we became very friendly with him. Actually, I got him – it was me who got him the job with Dr Chapman to go to Sydney to ride. I, mm. I booked him up at the at the Gold Coast sales with him and, and uh, he went from there. I said, he probably won't take your far again because 
He'll get you in to know everybody, but uh, he only keeps riders for about 12 months at the best. That's about his, as good as, as long as he, you last with him. But he'll take you to other places if you want to give it a go, and that's how he went to Sydney to ride. Alan Bailey, do you realise, had you not answered the challenge all those years ago to become a horse trainer, you might be the oldest greenkeeper on the Central Coast? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd hope to be retired from that too, John. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's, it's been terrific to catch up. Thanks for your time. Best regards to June, and uh, we'll do it again one day. Good, John. Thanks very much. Great to talk, Alan. Thank you so much. Right on, mate. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you later. And this podcast has been produced by Supernova Sound. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. 